Hello, and welcome to the Oscar Went To, the podcast that looks back at a year in film and sees what films endured, what films didn't, and attempts to figure out why. Please give it up for your masters of ceremony, Max Salim and Nick Mestad. Hello, and welcome to the Oscar Went To. This week, as a supplement to our 2007 episode, we are getting our scuba gear on, as usual, and doing a deep dive into the 2007 hit, Juno, directed by Jason Reitman. I'm Max. I'm Nick. All right, so on this podcast, we like to look back at a year in film and decide what films have aged well and what films haven't, and figure out why. If this sounds interesting to you and this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, you may want to jump back a few episodes and start with our recap of 2007. After our recap, after discussing the films that we've enjoyed or we haven't liked or ones that we haven't seen in a long time, we like to take a little bit closer of a look and do a deep dive on a few films. So that's what this is. A quick disclaimer, our deep dives are no holds barred which means that we absolutely get into spoilers. So if you've never seen Juno and you're interested in seeing it, you should probably watch it before listening to this episode, right? Recommended highly. All right. Well, I was a little bit reluctant to do this one, but without further ado, let's get into it. Absolutely. I'm licking my chops. It's good to talk about some movies with you again, Nick. It's It's been a little while. It has been a little while. the The listeners don't know this, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's refreshing and life affirming to uh, be chatting about a uh, deep diving, no less, about a, a movie with you again. So, um, you want to get right to it? Yeah, I do want to get right to it. Um, uh, this was a so, bit. Don't mean to interrupt. So, I, the one thing I will say, like before we get into it, is that I did find myself hitting play on this movie for the rewatch. I did find myself. Usually, we have a pretty stringent rule about um, not sharing with each other at all our thoughts on the movie that we're deep diving on because either we're seeing it for the first time or or like if one of us has seen it we try to like withhold like what we think of it um but with this one we try to keep the conversation fresh for yes for the podcast yes yes and for this one we both have have kind of on the podcast itself really gone off about our thoughts on this movie so i found myself at the very beginning, rewatching this, I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to set that aside as much as possible, as an and as impossible as that is. It is a much different experience doing a deep dive on a movie when my perception is colored by the conversation we've had on it previously. So I tried to set that aside, and maybe I overcompensated, but I was surprised with this rewatch. I was surprised. I mean, because we have sort of like through conversation built this movie up. I mean, so to be clear, you've never liked this movie from the jump in 2007. This was a movie that that you were kind of vehemently against, given the huge critical acclaim that it was getting. Correct. I have never particularly liked this film. And I have. And upon its initial theatrical release, I was a big fan of it. I was totally within like the general populace reaction to it of like this is charming this is i'm into it well over the years i found myself like as we've talked about it and just like thinking back to it like oh yeah that movie kind of like remained in 2007 like no one talks about it anymore i haven't heard anything about it in 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 a very long time and it's more of a time capsule Rewatching it i was expecting myself to be like oh man head shake this is so 2007 and i found myself really pleasantly surprised like i find it i found it charming tender the writing the jokes in it are really like funny i was laughing it was a much different movie than how i remembered it watching it 13 years ago as a college student and watching it as a 33 year old now but i but overall i found myself really pleasantly surprised with like uh how charming i found it okay i'm happy for you (laughs) uh this i i found this movie to be better than i recalled upon this rewatch but I also found it to be equally annoying as I found it 13 years ago. Well, let's let's start as we do with our deep dives with with the things we liked about the film because I think that's a better place to start and I think the latter conversation might spiral me into a different type of tangent. Good call. So to stay on, stay focused. The reasons I liked the film more are mostly the the cast and the acting are 
are really good in this film. Yeah. And it's sort of insane to look back on this relatively small $6 million film and to see the star power that's in it, even by today's standards. Yeah, definitely. And, and like kind of looking for like the lead, Ellen Page, and Michael Sarah wasn't like, this is one of the things that like really catapulted him along with Superbad to like a different level of stardom. But like, yeah, Jason Bateman, um, Jennifer Garner, uh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, like they're like all stars at this time, like great people. It's really an exceptional cast for a, mm -hmm. as small of a movie as it is. And yeah, some of that is that I feel like Jason Bateman has like really established his chops in the last 13 years. J.K. Simmons won an Oscar. Ellen Page has sort of blossomed into this, I don't want to say like A-list movie star, but objectively and widely considered an excellent actress. Um, yeah. So a lot of that has grown since the film came out, and that's maybe why it was less noticeable mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. But the cast is really good. And I, I think the biggest, the biggest kudos I can give to the cast is they often are handed lines that are really hard to deliver, and they're able to add so much more nuance and subtext to a character than the script is handing them. Yeah, yeah. I, th there were times when I found that, like... Um the lines that they were saying were like, it's like, man, what um, did the script have like in parentheses, what emotion they should be feeling? Because that could have very easily, like there were times when like the things JK Simmons says to Juno are just like, so they're jokes and very easy could just be like, so snarky and devoid of emotion. And yet there's like, yeah, they're like coloring these, these lines with like really like a ton of subtext. It's like really well done. So yeah, the, the, the cast is, the cast is really good and it's a really good ensemble piece and they really work off each other really well, which brings me to the next thing. I remember the next aspect of this film, which is much better. One thing the script does do well is it creates interesting dynamics between the characters and like lets these characters play them out. Okay, I really enjoyed the dramatic triangle between Juno and then the adopting parents, Vanessa and Mark. I thought that was really intriguing and there was there was sort of more meat on the bones in that in in those dynamics than i remember there being i'm in complete agreement with you here the that was like the biggest element that that i liked as being a fan of the movie when it originally came out and seeing it multiple times back in 2007 i like that dynamic what like i don't even remember that i kind of remember that like jason bateman was inappropriate with juno but that was like the extent of my memory of that like you know relationship and Watching it now, I was like, that was so compelling. Like, what what's going on between Mark and Vanessa, just as a couple, let alone Juno, and like, kind of what's happening with like how she's being taken advantage of, but like her being like a high schooler, she can't quite see that fully, um, and she's just sort of following this feeling. And like the Mark character, the Mark character specifically, like really, I think like just because of like the age we're at now, was like really, it was just interesting to see that couple, to see the guy who never wanted. Who, who who is it who, like i would say is like a dick in terms of like letting this play out the way it played out even before he's like making advances on on a high school girl but just that dynamic of the 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 woman who really wants to be a mother uh and wants the what appears to be the married life and mark who like never really wanted that but like kind of you know wanted maybe comfort but didn't and it, it, it really compelling really really compelling and i like don't remember that at all it's a good bait and switch jennifer garner and jason yeah. bateman do with these characters because yeah. the movie sets it up where you're like wow vanessa is like uptight and has a stick up her ass and is mm -hmm. sort of pathetic in some ways mm -hmm. and She's such a buzzkill to her kind of cool husband. And then it sort of like elegantly switches the way you feel as an audience member about those characters pretty organically totally. and effortlessly. I personally don't think, I know that a lot of the, a lot of people are like, oh, wow, Mark is such a piece of shit and he's so creepy. And he's definitely like a morally questionable character. But I personally mm -hmm. didn't see in that scene upon this rewatch I, there was more depth to what was going yes. on than the first time I saw the film. And I don't necessarily believe, you know, Mark is also struggling with his own inner demons. And I don't totally. necessarily believe that like Mark is like ready to whip his dick out and like put a move on the 16 year old. I think it's more complex than that, which yes. I didn't 
pick up with my first viewing years ago. Yes, no, totally. I mean, like, the script does a really good job of, like, all these characters have a pretty deep humanity to them. Mark being no exception. Like, he is, like... I mean, I will say, like, he is a dick, but, like, you you also feel for him and, like, also see his side of it and also, like... You know, he's he's going down a very questionable path with it. But like you also like I certainly related sort of related to the like, oh, man, like husband who who like had to kind of set aside like his his dreams to like for the married life. It does a really good job of like having the complex because like in their like kind of knockdown drag out fight at the end, Vanessa says to him, like, I'm not I if I'm waiting for you to be the next Kurt Cobain, I'm going to be waiting forever, like something to that effect. And like that's like so perfect, too, where it's just like he's not the musician that he th- he wants to be or dreams of that just like it just illustrates both sides of it so very well. Where it's just like, okay, here's a guy who like, oh, now he has a loft and like, oh, cool guy. Like, but you also feel the emptiness of his life and. It, it's great, man. They, it's really, really well done. I also imagine that Mark, you get the feeling that he's like, you know, he works from home and he's sitting at home and he's living in like the suburban St. Cloud mm-hmm. and somehow Juno popping up at his doorstep has like awoken something in him. And I don't really oh, see that man, as a sexual know. thing that's yeah. being awoken, but yeah. more like a way, uh, an awakening of his past passions that led him to this point. Dude, really good call. Really good call. And like, because like, we're kind of like our entrance into Mark and Vanessa's relationship is through Juno. I feel like that's, that's like a very astute observation because in hindsight, that is like totally true. It's like all of his stuff is in boxes in one room. Her literally being like, Hey, you have a guitar. What What's this? Him being like, Oh, this. And like, that is totally what happens. It's like a, a, a rebirth of like that stuff that he's been sort of compartmentalizing and like the life that he's chosen. That's so true. I think this is a sign of good characters in mm-hmm. in films, especially in family dramas, which this could be considered in some ways, mm-hmm. that every character is fucked up, but it's sort of understandable why they're fucked up. And I think yeah. this does a good job of, of doing that and not just painting all these characters into black and white and good guys and bad guys. And I appreciate that upon this upon this viewing yeah for sure me as well and on that note like just being of characters like i watching it this time i was really struck like how charming juno is like how confident of a character she is like to see a a high school movie but like also like her and um her friend plays by olivia thurlby leah like their relationship is just like like the dynamic and rapport that they have and like kind of like how they like juno just has like a pipe and like will be wearing like funny glasses and stuff and like just her like wardrobe it reminded me of something that like I don't feel like a lot of teenage movies have where it's like certain teenagers and a really fun way of doing the teenage years is is sort of that like you're just trying on culture and you're kind of like you haven't joined society yet but like you're, you're kind of like maturing enough where your brain is firing on all cylinders and you're kind of like oh look how crazy the world is and you're just kind of trying on different pieces of it like that's like I felt like Juno like her room her wardrobe who she is as a character had such a like fun appealing attitude in that regard of just sort of this like this confident high schooler who like had very specific taste and like I, it was the type of thing where it's like I, I, I it was like man this I, this Juno as an adult is going to be a very she's going to end up in a very interesting place because it's like a spirit like that is like hard to be dimmed kind of the spine of the charm of this movie was like juno like she's a played so well by ellen page and as a character like it's just really appealing to piggyback off what you were just saying about juno's character i really like the scene when juno tells her stepmom that she was visiting mark and vanessa Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and her stepmom's says something to the effect of you you can't you can't do that it doesn't work that way when you're married mm-hmm. and that whole conversation it 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 fits into what you were saying where Juno is she's confident and she thinks she knows what's right but she's also still a kid and she's in yeah. over her head and she yeah doesn't know what's right yeah. and i thought this was that was like an elegant conversation of illustrating that because i think everyone can relate to that when they're 16 to be like, I know everything. I'm right about everything. My parents are idiots, but I still really need you guys. Yeah. That's a great call. Like she is like sort of the, like a very heightened version of kind of like the average high schooler. Like, I think that's like why part of the reason her character works so well and why she can like hold a movie 
is that it's like she's just like part what every high school student like wishes they were in terms of just like that confidence and that taste and kind of how she views the world but also like she's still like limited by that like she's still a high schooler she still doesn't know what she thinks she she knows all right i, I want to move into a few disclaimers before we continue this conversation because i'm sort yes. of at the end of the positive stuff i have to say about this film <laughs> that was short okay i want to put this in context why we're even having this conversation and the weird effect that a Oscar or, or an award season run can have on a film, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, yeah. if this was just some little darling of the 2006 Toronto Film Festival with a limited release and maybe Ellen Page is nominated for Best Actress of the Independent Spirit Awards, within the idea of this podcast, but also within the scope of popular culture, we're not even having this conversation about this film. And therefore, I'm not being as critical as I'm about to be about this film. That's a great, that's a great call. And that like that effect of like a movie being like highly acclaimed and on top of it, highly like popular with like general audiences, it takes on that prove it quality. Like where it's like, okay, you're going to like, you're going to take this like coveted spot. Like, all right, you're going to be brought under bigger critique scrutiny yes. thank you bigger scrutiny and i think there's all every year there's films that fall into this category that are not like i would say la la land shakespeare in love if i thought about it longer i could surely come up with some more examples but fall in this category where it's like the filmmakers weren't setting out to make oscar bait so this is not the filmmakers fault that they were so right critically acclaimed that they fell into this little pocket and got sent on a rocket ship to being considered one of the best films of the year. Yeah, right. That's a great call. And also, like, I don't know if this warrants disclaiming, but I also feel like, don't get me wrong, I would die to have written this script. So, like, like this is, like, through the filter of, of yeah, of just, like, of the place in society, like, the way, like, I, I just really like analyzing movies and why they, why the, why things fell the way they fell. But I just, I don't know, I imagine, like, Diablo Cody listening to this and being like, fuck these. Yeah, movies. so. Just being like, it's, it's, it's a great script. That's another, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> okay, so that's another disclaimer I have that I've never written a successful script. And so I, I. <laughs> I acknowledge that I'm the fat guy sitting on my recliner saying what a shitty quarterback Philip Rivers is right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad Diablo Cody, I have no problem with Diablo Cody. I'm glad that this ex-stripper and ex-ad agency copywriter is now making a career in Hollywood. Good for her. And I, I don't say that with any sort of sarcasm. And I'll also say that I feel like this film really splits the audience. And I think a lot of people really like this film and a lot of people really don't like this film. So I don't think we're necessarily bringing any super hot takes to this conversation, but it's still interesting within the lens of this podcast to to talk about this a bit. Yeah, I think I think we've like this disclaimer has fallen into kind of like maybe putting ourselves down. I think I think we might have some hot takes. Okay. My hot take is this script is bad. Okay, okay. And like, okay, so I imagine like that your main point with that is that you find the like the dialogue being like kind of the main source, the main reason for feeling this way, yes? The dialogue is probably my my main issue with the mm-hmm. script, you know, and, and, and I do think that it fell into this small place in pop culture where it really dates itself in a bad way. It's like popcorn ceiling or like, whatever terrible fashion trend got you i see i mean i hear what you're saying and this is one of the things we had discussed before we watched the movie so i was kind of prepped for that and there are like look at the beginning of the movie like especially the scene with rain wilson at the convenience store when we get you know that's one one doodle like can't be undid home skillet that to me is like there were a couple lines that i was like Oh, okay. But I, what I was really like really surprised by watching this is I didn't really ever pop out of the uh, out of the movie and be like, what the how why are they talking like this? What I found myself thinking was sort of like as crazy as the lines may read when you like 
kind of think about them. It's like sci-fi. It's like, no, it's not realistic, but it the movie does a really good job of making it believable in this world that they're in the, of the story that they're telling. And I think part of that is what we discussed earlier is like the acting and delivery of the of the of the lines, but also like the tone of the movie. It's like it is believable. It does work. And it is, I found, f- very funny. And like not too clever for its own good and not too like it's not sacrificing the relationships or, you know, the emotion to to get a joke out there. I found the lines like very funny and very charming and very believable. And I was I was surprised at that. I I feel like all the characters speak from the same voice. And as someone who's tried to write a few scripts, this is complicated to give each character their own unique voice. But in this world where everyone is speaking with the same voice, it like makes the characters formless, in my opinion. I I definitely hear that. That's like a fair point. It does all feel like singular. The reason that didn't get to me, I think, and what's really unique about this movie, I can't think of another movie like you know in this regard in that this is a movie that is coming from a voice like it's coming from like a a single person and you sense that watching the movie for the first time and at least i found that's part of what is compelling about it like it's a very bold kind of unapologetic style of a script it doesn't like try to it doesn't try to bend or like acquiesce to like let's try to you know make this a little more whatever it it is what it is it's like a a kind of like a stake in the ground and it works like it's like i I agree with you that the characters like are from a singular voice i will say there is difference in them certainly and like i didn't they're all yet they're all distinct even though they are within a singular voice and i don't know if that's like a testament to the actors the script maybe both but i did i i found it like it's a very unique quality to this movie that it is like such a singular voice like it's like a um i don't know you can tell it's being written by like who who wrote this movie like it's a it's a it's a like proclamation i wrote that down almost immediately i think it was like in the in the opening title sequence where i said like this movie is such a proclamation and it it is from like beginning to end i i agree that it's i'm not saying that dialogue there needs to be an element of realism to dialogue because i think the coen brothers do it really well i think tarantino does it really well and i'm sure Mm -hmm. there's other examples that aren't coming to mind right now where the lines are not necessarily like real or natural but they fit within the world that the film has created and yeah they're believable this doesn't do it for me in the same way as those other examples i brought up and and i would say that like i mean thank god jason reitman and diablo cody and the producers were able to put this cast together because the cast is what saves this film and even makes it arguably good but there's nothing in jennifer garner's lines that give her the depth that her character has it's all in like her eyes it's all in these intangibles that aren't in the script so yes i mean like i mean the actors are all they all like knock it knock their roles out of the park but like that that character is in the script you know like it may not be in the like dialogue but like that's in the script that that like this this you know jennifer garner's character as an example it's like this is a woman who like biggest want is to become a mother and mother a child and she can't do that and she's with a husband that's not on the same page and it's like it's like I felt deeply for it and it's like Jennifer Garner brought so much to that role but like the actors didn't invent that stuff I mean sure they like you know sunk their teeth into it but like that's all in the script like it doesn't work in concert like that without it being in the script is am I understanding you correctly well I I guess I guess neither of us can say for sure because we I I didn't read the script personally. I'm just saying that the difference between the lines, that if you just read the lines that these characters were to deliver, there'd be a complete lack of depth, which we were just lauding the actors in this film for bringing to the table. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, like, yes, we haven't read the script, but like, I mean, I'm pretty confident in saying that's like all in the script. Like if it's not like textual, it's certainly subtextual. It's hard to think of a movie where the screenwriter and the script particularly were so like the standout thing. Like, yes, Jason Reitman was like very recognized and the cast was and the movie was, but Diablo Cody was like the like star of this movie in the, in like when it blew up. And I think the reason that is, is kind of 
surface layers, like the dialogue is like very unique and like bold to a point of like either you're going to love this or you're not going to love this. But I think it's easy to overlook like even like if you change all those lines to like the most bland lines ever, the story structure is there. It's very compelling. And that's what really struck me on this rewatch was that like, again, like going back to like Juno, sort of like she's a high schooler who like thinks she knows more than she knows. And like the story dynamics of it are very, are like very solid. And the characters, like you said, like how they bounce off of each other and the dramatic triangle that occurs, that's all in the script. And I think it's like, oh, because it has this like crazy dialogue, that's why it's being awarded. That's the cherry on top. And that's certainly like a huge flourish that makes this movie stand out. But it's like the story of it is, is the structure of it, I think, is very, very good, even though it's overshadowed by the dialogue when we talk about like the script. OK, I, I think we'll just have to agree to disagree or we'll have to agree that there's a certain unknowingness that we, we, we can't say for sure who brought more of the story through, whether it was the writing, the directing, the acting. Obviously, all three together somehow makes this thing work. But I'm saying that the writing is the least deserved ingredient of this of this movie that makes it all work. Okay. And just to like clarify, if if we change the dialogue to like stuff that was like like dialogue that was very compelling, but less as bold of a style as this, if we're just talking about the story, how would you generally like posit? You, it's you not. Feel? I'm not even coming after the dialogue here, but I do think that okay. For example, in my opinion, there's a moment when the movie starts to like purr. You know, it starts to fire mm-hmm. on all cylinders. What would you say this moment is, or do you think it just is working from the beginning? I mean, my immediate thought is inciting incident when she decides to keep the baby. Like that to me is like, okay, now we're like, now we're off to the races. But like, I guess if we're like, we're really in it, I would say like her first scene, like alone scene with Jason Bateman, like when she visits, that's like when the movie kind of like is is going. What would you say though? Okay, I think that it starts to move pretty nicely the second time she goes to visit the parents, Vanessa and Mark. Mm -hmm. And the scene when... Jason Bateman and her are dancing. From that point forward, the movie works a lot better. And it's also, in my opinion, not a coincidence that that's the, that's the point of the movie where it really, it really cuts the crap. And like yeah. the facade of the quirkiness is dropped and the dramatic mm. elements get to play. That sort of reinforced my opinion that the dialogue is holding this thing back. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I, I, I definitely like, I hear you. And that's a good point. I mean, them dancing is, I mean, probably like in the last quarter of the movie or like last, certainly last half of the movie. I don't know. I mean, yes, I hear you. I would like, I mean, if I was playing devil's advocate, which I will, it's sort of like, I, it also like works kind of like stylistically of like that quirkiness is sort of like her perspective being changed, you know, where it's like, it could be argued that like, kind of the bubbly dialogue and reality. Cause this is like a very thinking about it's like teen pregnancy. It's like, it, it, like from her perspective is like, that's a, such a heavy, heavy topic. And yet it's dealt with in such a bubbly way. It could be argued that that's like how Juno sees the world, you know, where it's like, Hey, like this, the thing you're going through right now, isn't this like twee and charming as you know, it's being presented to us. And that kind of like stylistic change of that stuff being dropped and her and Mark dancing is kind of like Juno's perspective also kind of coming up head above water a little bit in a way of like, wait a second, like what's happening here? And that's when she like breaks down as a character. So it like, it, it definitely like, it's hard not to think of that as intentional on in the filmmaker's part, but I think it like works really well in that regard. And and I'm not saying I've like, I'm articulating this for the first time where it's like, oh yeah, that works really well. Like where it's like, if we're arguing that the kind of bold style of the movie is Juno's kind of bubbly, enthusiastic, but not realistic, quote unquote, perspective of the world, that works really well. Okay. Also, you've you've mentioned this a few times so far, but I I didn't think the film was particularly funny. And I feel like, okay, Juno talks on a hamburger phone and she like carries a pipe around like, oh, how zany, how wacky. But Mm -hmm. in my opinion, that zaniness and wackiness is like, it's a stand-in for nothingness. You know, it neither like it neither fleshes out the character or is funny or is explained. It's just like sort of filler. Like it's sort of Napoleon dynamite and interesting comparison. Yeah. 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 
and I'm not hating on Napoleon Dynamite, and I kind of mm-hmm. like Napoleon Dynamite, but I'm sure if Napoleon Dynamite had won Best Screenplay and been nominated for Best Picture, it would be right. under the same type of scrutiny that we're putting this under right now. Yeah, that's fair. The the. I mean, we disagree here. I, I, I found like the, you know, the pipe, the glasses, just like that, that the hamburger phone, I found that all, I didn't read that as an attempt for the filmmakers to be like, look how twee this is. Look how like crazy she is. To me, it was like all her character. And again, it goes back to that, like high schooler who's just like, you know, simultaneously confident in who she is and she has strong taste. Um, at the same time, she's a high school and there's a lot she doesn't know. And that's really arguably like what she learns in the movie is how much she doesn't know. But it's just like that stuff, it didn't read to me as like pandering at all. Like trying to be like, hey, isn't this funny for the sake of being funny because it's like a pipe? Like it was just like, that's her character. Like she's just kind of this like high schooler who like is just like trying on things of the world and like making fun of the like the adult world that she sees. She doesn't take anything seriously. That's part of her character. And that's part of like comes through when her dad and her are meeting Mark and uh, Vanessa for the first time where it's like, she's just like, yeah, sure. Why not? And just like cracking jokes and stuff. It's like Juno doesn't take things seriously. It's like, that is a reflection of her. And like, I, I also like made a note of this where it's like, we could do a whole episode on just kids' rooms and movies because as a kid watching movies and you see the kids' room, they're always the fucking awesomest room ever with posters and toys and wallpaper and everything. Well, with Juno's room particularly, it like does a really beautiful job of like saying so much about her character where it's like, you know, the hello, my name is stickers that are like have different things on them. Like when she walks in and like the posters in the background and just like the hamburger phone, like the hamburger phone specifically is a good example because I felt like that is like kind of an iconic item from the film. It's like, it's not like, oh, it's so goofy for the sake of being goofy. It's like, it's her. It's like she, I feel like I kind of, there were like one or two classmates either in a grade above or grade below that like had this quality where they were kind of like, they just like didn't buy into like the like, oh man, like I got to fit in. I got to fit in. They were kind of like, they made fun of it because they saw it for what it was while they were going through it, which is like a rare perspective to have. That's what it feels like Juno is. That's what the hamburger phone is. That's what the pipe is. That's what all of her is, is like, she's, she's very savvy because like, it's like, man, it's like, I wish I had it, it watching. I was like, I wish I had that perspective in high school where it's like, Oh, like, like adulthood is fucking weird. Adults are strange. The world is crazy. Here's the music I like. Like, it's just, I found it all fitting into her character again, which is like someone who, who knows, who thinks she knows a lot, has very strong taste. And yet there's a lot she doesn't know. And that's what she learns. Like I said before, I found the zaniness to be like a placeholder of nothingness and to be sort of like, it didn't, it didn't feel authentic. It felt like plugged into the mists and sen of this, of this movie. It's funny that you said that. I, because looking at her room, I was reminded of being a kid and watching whether it was Disney channel or movies, TGIF, TGIF or whatever of kids rooms and being like is this what my room should be like (laughs) yeah and like have you ever walked into a room that had so many posters like you couldn't even see the wall but every teenager in pop culture in the 90s and 2000s had this room how strange and interesting i mean truly i mean it's like i I wish like if you were to be the child of someone in like with a, of a Hollywood profession, a set designer would be the one to do because it's just like make my room look like Brad's from Home Improvement. It's like all these rooms are just like the perfect wallpaper. They have the glow in the dark stars. They have the posters. They have the toys. They have the shelves, the books, like the little model airplane, the lamp that's like cowboy themed. Like it's just like every element has personality and character to it. And it's like as a kid, it's just like, and even as an adult, I would fucking love to live in a room like that where it's like the like lighting is warm and it has nooks and crannies and like I would bet that the set designers for 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 TV shows or movies that have the the teenage room there is an element where it's like they like maybe grew up in a room that was just like desolate and bare like we all did <laughs> yes yes in comparison dude you know what would be really funny is to see <laughs> I want to see a movie that has a teenage room that looked like mine as a kid where it's just like like by movie standards is just like this looks like a fucking desert like yeah are you like here? on the like, eastern block you know yeah. <laughs> Did the Stasi yes. design this room? This is like complete utility with like one <laughs> bit of flourish, and like you have like a like a, a hand-me-down desk, 
and like half of a bunk bed, like, and don't get me wrong. I mean, part of this is like, yeah, that was a normal room to have. It was just like, like with anything we're seeing in like media, the rooms that, you know, and of kids and TV shows and movies are just like, like, just like the actors we're seeing, they're better looking than anyone we see in real life. Like, that's just part of it. It's a heightened reality. It's appealing. It's just fascinating. I, I really try to go into this with an open mind. And I, like I said at the beginning, I did enjoy this film. There, there were more redeeming qualities than I remembered. And I'm less cynical than I am now. But the dialogue and the zaniness is not something that, that came through for me. The voiceover in this movie is like so throwaway. And we've talked about it, it this is before. Bizarre. Like mm-hmm. we've talked about this before that it is sort of like a, like a cool take to be like, oh, voiceover, that sucks. And I'm not doing that mm-hmm. because voiceover is like really well served. But it's not even like mm-hmm. a foundation of the movie. It feels just like <laughs> Diablo Cody wanted to like add some more quippy dialogue in a few places and couldn't really fit it in within the characters. And so she's like, well, I'll just put this in voiceover because it's so weird how it just disappears. Yeah. I didn't even like, like I, 20 I, minutes I know, into the movie kinda, and then it's just gone. Yeah. 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 No, it is one of those things where I like clocked it kind of like the second or third time it popped up and literally forgot about it. And yes, they, that is totally true. Where it's like, what, what, what did that serve? Like, what function was that? Yeah, and the cutbacks, too, it's like you either got to make that a style, in my opinion, or not have them. But, that, like, those cutbacks were so cheap to me. Like, oh, Juno, did you throw up in my urn? No. And then, like, cut back to her throwing up in the urn. It's like, ha-ha. Like, and if you want to go super bad on the bit and make that, like, an essential storytelling mechanism then go mm-hmm. for it. But if you just have like a slightly funny idea that you want to pop into the script, then you need to do it mm-hmm. in a more clever way than that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's food, man. You either, you like what you like and you don't like what you don't like. I, yeah. All right. Let's talk about Polly a little bit because yeah. What the fuck is this character? This character is like, oh, like interesting. No, it's like okay. nothingness. I mean, he's really nothingness. He seems <laughs> to off. he seems to have no feelings about this pregnancy, and it, it has no effect on him. His parents don't even know about it, and he seems totally apathetic about the fact that he's impregnated Juno and doesn't own up to anything. And mm-hmm. what what are what what are what, what is like what are characteristics of this character like what do we know about this character he likes tic tacs he runs he runs school track or cross country yeah and um, he's in a band with uh juno was yeah okay yeah no you're you're, you're right I, this isn't something i felt watching it but hearing this now you're totally right he is like arguably absence of matter I, I i'm about to take like sort of like the like hindsight like story approach of like i bet it's because because the story focuses on Juno, kind of her arc is like learning that she doesn't know as much as she knows, thinks she knows that she's still a kid. And also the like compelling dynamic between like the cu- couple that's going to adopt her child. That like, because that's the the kind of dramatic substance of the movie, it, it, it kind of minimize, it ha- like by, by design, the father of the biological father of the child has to be sort of like, very minor and i think like that's like and i'm not saying i'm not saying that like that yes but i bet like i'm sure like just by design that's why he is like so so meek i'm not saying that he needs more screen time juno's our main character and i understand why juno's our main character but his screen time needs more substance we need more to him especially if she's gonna be like two-thirds of the way through the movie be like paulie's my best friend really that guy's your best friend like why you know, or like, yeah. oh, Polly's yeah. such a boss boyfriend. Are you sure he's such a boss boyfriend, Juno? Because there's been <laughs> nothing to indicate that he's even like anything but like a shy and apathetic figure up until this point in the movie. Dude, I, I just, I'm getting this image and I would love to see just like a, like a solo sketch character that you do where you're just like, you're, you're yourself, but in Juno's world while the movie is unfolding and you're just... You, you pull Juno aside and just go off. Like, really, Juno? Polly's your best friend? List three things that he's bringing to the table. Okay. Also, like, like why are you talking like this? Cut the shit. Like, I, I, you, could, you have a lot of mileage there. I think you should write that. Okay. 
All right. Well, I, the the poly thing was baffling to me. It's like, so he doesn't need to be have more screen time, like I said. But this is an essential character to this story. Surely, mm-hmm. like this is mm-hmm. a this character has to be feeling something. There's there has to be like a a heaviness or like a regret or like it's complicated. I'm sure it's really complicated to get your high school girlfriend pregnant and then have her go through with the pregnancy or even if she doesn't go mm-hmm. through with the pregnancy regardless. And yeah, it's like the whole world is sort of just passing in front of Polly and he is sort of a sounding board for Juno. And he sort of doesn't have any opinions about what's going on. And mm-hmm. yeah. And then she's like, Oh, I realize I'm in love with Polly. It's like, what? That has not been set up in any way. There's no way you're watching this movie as an audience member and being like, that Polly guy is cool. Like that Polly guy stand up. I see why she wants to be with him. It just is like, oh yeah, this is the one male character, high school character we know in this movie. And so he's the he falls into the the mechanism the script needs him to fall into. Yeah. I mean you're you're making very fair points. I didn't feel any of this when I was watching it, but I can't combat what you're saying. I will say though that like I never questioned like Juno's like love of him. Like like I I mean Michael Sarah is arguably his most Michael Sarah in this role and like it brings a lot of charm to the role and the character is meek. I mean JK Simmons says like didn't know he had it in him. You that know, is like, the one part he, I laughed at by the way. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, he he's just like, a, like that's kind of, his character is just very meek. And he's, I mean, that's what Michael Sarah like brings as a like archetype is sort of like, you know, boy, very, very boyish, weak, kind of timid character. Yeah, but think about his other roles because he, he is a little bit of a one trick pony or not a one trick pony, but he, you know, he's typecast, especially at, at this, this point, time. In, at this yes, time yeah, in his yeah, life, yeah. he's typecast. Yeah. But think about Arrested Development, super bad. Scott Pilgrim, there's so much more depth to what he's doing in those roles, even though he's playing essentially the same character. And you like the guy so much more than you do in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I didn't dislike the character, though. That that This might be a difference in taste again. Like, I didn't, like, I, I, I mean, for those movies for Scott Pilgrim, Superbad, Arrested Development, like, well, just talking about the two other movies, Superbad and, and Scott Pilgrim, he's, the, he's a protagonist in those. So naturally, he's going to you're going to have more time with them. You're going to see more depth, but like, yes, like the poly bleaker role and function in the script is very minor. And it's very like, it's a mechanism for the main story. But like, I don't know. I I found it believable because he is like meek. He is kind of like, you know, I guess like, you know, it'd be maybe nice to be surprised by his character. If he like shows up and like, he reveals, you know, that he feels something about this pregnancy would, would have been a nice, like, yeah, he could have used like a dash of depth. But I didn't find myself being like, what the fuck? Like, this dude is truly, this character is truly nothing. Like, come on, like, get up and get at him. I felt like, yeah, in high school, it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, okay. You know, like, I, I found that if I wasn't like that, I certainly knew people like that. I, I'm not saying he's not believable, but for him to be the father of this child, which is what's making the whole movie go, to be Juno's mm-hmm. best friend and to be the love interest and to be somehow the thing that at the end of the movie ties everything together, you, he, he needs to have more depth. His character needs to have more depth in this. Fair, fair. It didn't get to me, but but you're making fair points. Also, speaking of Polly, like the scene with his mom when he comes, she comes upstairs and she's like- That's rough. That's that, rough. Ju- that Juno, I don't like That's her. Rough. She's different. It's like, what a throwaway scene. Like, that scene serves no purpose. Yes. Well, yes. The thing I felt, and this is kind of mean, but like, that there was, it was clearly like, oh, acting brings a lot to a movie. Cause it's like that, the woman who played his mom, like, God bless her, like, that was rough. I don't think she's a professional actress. At least that's what I've surmised watching that scene where it was just like, it was pretty brutal that the, the, what, what she was, what she was doing. Well, and I don't know what more she could do with that scene being written in because it's like literally a pointless scene. And she could express the same thing with a look or even the scene when she chases Juno upstairs or, or whatever. Like, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, to me, it was the acting that like I, 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 I wouldn't 
it didn't, I don't think the scene was like pointless. I think like it's important to see that Polly's mom doesn't approve of Juno, but I can't like. All right, let's, let's, um, unless you have any other comments to make about the uh, absolute nothingness that is Polly Bleeker, let's move on to another, another topic I want to talk about. Sure, let's move. What is the biggest decision our protagonist Juno makes in this film? I mean, it's hard to keep the baby. Is certainly one, if not the one, to keep Um, the baby. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, because what is that whole sequence really? That that it's a turning point, and Mm -hmm. I I don't Mm -hmm. attach any political or ethical topics onto this decision. I'm purely talking about it as a an essential plot point in in the film mm-hmm. but that whole scene is so weird because nothing is really like why does she keep the baby right i mean like yeah yeah i i hear what you're saying there is something like kind of surface level about it where it's just like fingernails and fingernails being like oh it's a human is that really why she keeps the baby because that's how the script i'm sure getting an abortion is a really difficult thing to do especially as a 16 year old mm-hmm. so to me, this should be a really like meaty part of the script, a really meaty part of the story. But it sort of just happens and it's not really explained why and it's not really, it, it, what. so yeah, what is that Su Chin character, first of all? She ends up catapulting the story into a whole different direction, but she's yeah. such a throwaway character too. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I, I mean, to me, Juno's like like instinct or feeling and decision. I never questioned it, and like, yeah, it's like fingernails is kind of like the like kind of thing that makes it that tips her scale, you know, to tips tips her decision. It, what you know, it's like in the script, it's like okay, she has to decide to for the sake of the story, she's keeping the baby, and that's just like what this story is. And it's like, well, how do we get her to make that decision? And like to me, it's like this, you know, the fingernail thing could be replaced with like it was sort of replaceable. Like it could have been a bunch of different stuff. And this was just like, okay, this is like, this works. Yeah. I, so I agree with the, what, with everything you just said, but then it's so weird how this sequence of the film is like three minutes long. It starts with her walking into the abortion clinic. The Su Chin character is like so strange because they know each other from school, but she's kind of like dumb or she's like portrayed as dumb, but she's only portrayed as dumb because she doesn't speak English well, but her points, which are like rudimentary pro life points are enough to, to flip Juno's opinion on, on getting an abortion or not, which up to this point, she's been, extremely confident in her choice to get an abortion. So that whole sequence is just weird. You go, and then you go into the abortion clinic and you have like the weird receptionist offering the condoms. Yeah. And it's just like such an essential point in the story that isn't given any credence. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's a fair point. I mean, it did stick out to me, especially with like Su Chin, like being the, like also being the only protester, like she's by herself in the parking lot felt a little like that feels slightly unrealistic. Like, I feel like there would be a group of people there. Yeah. And, and I did find the receptionist to be maybe like the pinnacle example of like, okay, this is like, get the style of this is getting pretty, pretty strong here. I'm just like, her being like really blase and like kind of goth and just like you want a Lincolnberry condom? It makes my boyfriend's dick taste like pie or smell like pie, which is a funny line. I have to say, <laughs> I laughed at that. <laughs> Again, yeah, I mean, like I, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I hear you, I hear you. The, the there, there is a kind of a conundrum to the scene. It's not an iconic scene by any stretch of the imagination. It's like very like it feels perfunctory, but it feels like a problem solve of a scene for the story rather than like uh, something that's like, man, this was, this was like truthful and like, uh, like a, a, you know, a a tentpole scene for the movie. Yeah. uh, There, but the, the film does this over and over again, where it's the most important plot points and shifts in the movie are not given any real significance in the story. Yeah, no, I, I hear you there. Yeah. But yeah, again, this is like sort of like retroactively. Yeah. It's like, you know, something that gets to one of us 
I'm not think you know watching the movie. I wasn't thinking like, oh, this isn't bothering me. This is it's only like coming up against like a counterpoint where you like are forced to articulate like, oh, th- this didn't bother me. I think here's why. Do you have more like nitpicks? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call these nitpicks. I would call them like fundamental like flaws naked- <laughs> in yes, the movie. Yes, 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 like, yes, but world, yeah, yeah. I mean, to try to talk about the end. So the movie takes a serious situation and it does take the edge off of it, which I appreciate. And I think it's nice that the film does that. And this isn't like a super heavy, dark drama, like four months, three weeks, two days or waitress or like these other uh, unwanted pregnancy films that came out this year. I don't have any, I don't have any issue with the film for taking the edge off of the serious situation. But Mm -hmm. I do sometimes feel like there's almost like no real problems in this movie, like, or everything is just immediately solvable. Juno's pregnant. She decides to keep the baby. Her parents support her. She immediately has like a closed adoption. She misses no school. She doesn't seem to have any like physical or mental issues from this pregnancy. No, no one's really mean to her at school, except maybe Polly's new girlfriend was giving her the stink eye. But that's like, these aren't even problems. They're all just like immediately solved. And it has no effects on any of her relationship, whether it's with Polly or her best friend or her parents. And I like that it isn't taking this topic too seriously, but she just moves through this entire story without any significant obstacles, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I found it compelling, though. I mean, like, I can't, like, clinically say, like, in the script what the conflict is, but it's like, you know, what's going on between her and the adoptive couple is very compelling and way more substantial than I remember it. There's compelling stuff, that, and we talked at length that why that that is compelling. It's just like, if the message of the story is like, hey, if, if there's a teenage pregnancy, it doesn't need to ruin your life, which, you know, as a high school, you're made to think it will ruin your life. So I don't sure. need this to ruin her life, but it's, but it's, it, it presents a lot of complications, but the film doesn't even really address those or, or make them obstacles in Juno's journey of having this, this baby. Again, I think the movie, because it really is about a high school girl who sees the world one way and realizing that the world is more complicated than that, like that's sort of the arc and like the pregnancy and the adoptive couple, that's all like in service of her realization of this. That's why it worked for me. Like there are certainly compromises, like the the, the weight of everything is certainly like doesn't feel I mean, that's part of like what everyone's telling her, at least her parents are just like, hey, like this is, you need to be serious about this. Do you know how serious? And that's like, it just feels like the lightness of it is a reflection of her, of her attitude. But I'm with you. I mean, like it is, yeah. like, there's a lightness to everything that's sort of like, well, I don't know about that, but like, yeah, the, it was believable just because I think like, you know, it, it, because of the, the story elements and what it was doing. All right. Take yeah. me into some fun facts about the movie. Okay, so in 2005, a movie came out called Junebug. Have you heard of this movie with Amy Adams? Yep. She was, it was kind of like, this is a movie about a uh, pregnancy, and Junebug is the kind of affectionate nickname of Amy Adams' character. And apparently, Juno was originally titled Junebug, and they had to change the title when Junebug, a movie about a, a, a pregnancy, came out. And how insane is that? <laughs> Like, yeah, that would probably like, be pretty disappointing as the screenwriter to see this movie come out. Jesus Christ. I mean, Junebug. Like, there's no connection between Junebug and pregnancy, right? Is there? <laughs> I don't know. If the, like, like to me, it's like, th- just like that is like a, a an incredible level of coincidence that just is is shocking. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's the only trivia I have. Also, it's worth mentioning that uh, Minnesota set movie. I know it was shot in Canada, but it was like fun to hear, you know, some Minnesota locations mentioned, referenced, put out there. Yeah, Nick and I are both from Minnesota, mm-hmm. to put that comment in context. <laughs> yes. I'm not just like, yeah, just a random fan of, of Minnesota's representation in film. I never thought I'd talk about Juno as much as we just did. <laughs> I, part of the pleasure of uh, convincing you to do this episode was knowing that you felt this way. So, mission accomplished. Well, okay. Good for you. <laughs> um, in our 2007 episode, 
neither of us had Juno in our top five. Mm-hmm. Um, we both trashed it a little bit in in that episode. Upon mm-hmm. this this more recent viewing, would you change anything about your top five for 2007? I would, I, it's not enough to change my top five. It is a really pleasant movie. Um, but it, but yeah, it's, 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 it's much better than I remember it in the way that it's been sort of curdled in, you know, in the time since I, I watched it. it. It holds up much better than I thought it did and has a ton of charm and tenderness and a lot to offer. But it does not crack my top ten, my top five. How about you? Well, it's actually my number two now. Okay, um, so now now let's dive into this. <laughs> so I I think about this, and we, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, but I remember when I was a kid, my dad took me to some blockbuster film. I don't remember what it was, but it was sort of like an action-packed thriller thing. And I, I remember after the film asking him if he liked it. And he said, you know, if you go into a restaurant expecting steak, and you get McDonald's, you're not going to like it. But if you go into McDonald's expecting McDonald's, you're going to think, wow, those fries are so good. And I think this is like the perfect example of that sort of thinking, where my main criticisms with this film come from the fact that it was, you know, when a film's nominated for Best Picture, you go in expecting steak, and this film is just not steak. So this isn't my criticisms. Yeah, I think maybe... Some of my criticisms about the script are not inaccurate, but at the same time, the filmmakers, when they wrote this, when they made this film, they weren't trying to make steak. And we should keep that in mind when we're critiquing these films. And again, I'm glad for Diablo Cody. I'm glad she's having a long career as a Hollywood writer. And if she ever listens to this episode and she emails us saying like, go fuck yourselves, great. I don't disagree, Diablo Cody. <laughs> yeah, I, the um, that's a really nice point. I feel like that's sort of the thing is just like, yeah, a fine point on it is that the accolades that this movie got, I think did a major disservice for what is a very good, sweet movie. Also, can we just say Diablo Cody was 30 when this movie came out? That's tight for her <laughs> to win best oh my screenplay God. at 30. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. We've already given this film <laughs> way too many, too much love over I, the airwaves. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. I do. I have a lot of, I have a lot of love for this movie. So, um, I, I don't, I don't want my, uh, uh, any sort of perceived negativity to overshadow my, yes, the, we the, get it. The we get it. You don't want me to, you don't want me to drag you down. <laughs> I am, I'm not affiliated with Max in any way. So when Diablo Cody is 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 hypothetically listening to this episode, she's only saying "Go fuck yourself" to me. Yes, Diablo. Diablo I I genuinely uh, am inspired by your story and the movie you've written here. Max thinks I'm being sarcastic. I don't think you're being sarcastic. Can we just finish talking about Juno, please? Fine. You know, let, let's wrap this up as we as we always do. With the benefit of 13 years of hindsight, what are your general thoughts on Juno and how it's aged as a film? I think it, it's aged exactly how it feels correct the, the the way it's aged in that you don't hear about it much. It's more of a time. It feels like a very much a, a timestamp of a movie. Um, very pleasant to to rewatch, uh, as I've stated. But I think I, I don't feel necessarily strongly that it should be in the conversation more. I don't haven't heard anyone talk about this movie in a long time. Um, as sad as that may seem, I think that's fairly accurate. It's a it's a pleasant movie. That's a nice rediscovery, but it by no means needs to be discussed heavily, like we just did. Like we just did. Gotcha. <laughs> Psych. Yep. Uh, Max, how 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 uh, how do you feel after thirteen years of of hindsight? You know, honest to blog, I think you pretty much <laughs> hit the nail on the head. It is a little bit of a time capsule, and it did kind of shoot me back to to two thousand and seven mm-hmm. watching it. But I don't, for reasons stated, I don't I don't think this film deserves to be talked about and and or or watched um, any more than it than it is. And it's a sort of aptly, you know, faded 
faded from the zeitgeist a little bit. Yeah, as sad as it as sad as it is, I do want to. I just want to say how funny it is to, to to just hear like this movie doesn't deserve to be talked about any more than it is. Is a very funny kind of damnation. Well, I think that's a wrap on Juno and mm-hmm. 2007. Well, actually, maybe we'll do one more. Who knows? If we get that email. Or if we yeah, just if we feel get like that it. email. I've been pushing refresh on the inbox. So as soon as we get that email, we'll do another 2007 episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Please uh, hit subscribe on your podcast player. And if you have a moment and enjoyed the show, we'd love to get a good review. It really helps us uh, continue to grow the podcast and hopefully record many, many more of these episodes. And it, and it also just kind of makes our day. It does. It does. Absolutely. So we'd love to hear from you. If you agree with us, disagree with us, or have your own hot takes, feel free to send us an email or a voice memo to theoscar12 at gmail.com. If we think you're onto something, we will somehow feature it in an upcoming episode. And finally, if you have a film you'd like us to talk about, shoot us an email and tell us why you love or hate the film. Again, we don't allow any apathetic films, any blah films to be recommended, but... Tell us why you love or hate it, and we'll consider doing it for our next deep dive. Well put. You looked like you had a snarky thing to say there, but then I kept talking. That's that's the proper way to handle that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, it's been real. I'm going to make like a tree and get out of here. Ha, a famous quote from... I don't remember what film. You'll have to, yeah. You'll have to join us next time. To find out. Uh, all right, this was this uh, this as always was a genuine pleasure, Max. Take care of yourself and uh, dear. Likewise. Listeners. Cool. But we'll we'll uh, we'll talk soon, friends. Take care. All right. See you next. Bye.